Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, May 20th, 2014. Today, uh, we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 65, paragraph 1, on our grudge list. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Rabia M., 12 Tradition, Sharon H., readers of the text, Sylvia F., Marcella M., and Lauren S. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, May 19th, 2014, 6370. 6370. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rabia M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. I am Rabia, and I am a compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. I will now ask... Sharon H. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. And 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. And 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, telephone, or television, and other forms of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 65, paragraph 1, starting with on our grudge list, and we will focus our sharing today on the list, the directions that are listed in the big book. I will ask Sylvia, I'm sorry, Sylvia F. to begin reading. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Visionaries. This is Sylvia, uh, a uh, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown, the cause, his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, Brown may get my job at the office, affects my sex relations, self-esteem, fear, sex relations, self-esteem, fear, security, self-esteem and fear. So Mr. Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend and she's a gossip. And it affects my personal relationships and my self-esteem, which is fear. My employer is unreasonable, unjust, overbearing, threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. Um, It affects my self-esteem, which is fear, 
and my security. My wife misunderstands and nags, likes Brown, wants house put in her name. It affects my pride, personal sex relations, security, and fear. So uh, this is just, you know, when, when I first read over this, I, from the very beginning, I could see um, the, the crazy thinking and I could apply it to myself. So one of the things it tells us in the big book, and the, and the reason that it has this example, is that this, this whole process is not to be like the, a dissertation for your PhD, and it's not to be an essay or a novel that takes a year. We're supposed to write down who are we resentful, and we write that down in a list, and then we go, why are we resentful? And then we go down the list and say exactly why, and then it, how does it affect me? Because that's why I'm upset. Why else would I care? So it, so it's to put down, you know, the way I felt about it when I got into program and I started to understand this is that I was carrying around a whole bag of rocks, and those rocks were my resentments. And I was just trudging around exhausted by carrying these things. So basically I got to take out, you know, take these rocks out of the bag one rock at a time and go, that's Mr. Brown, and what did he do? Why do I hate him? You know, everything's his fault. And then I say, and why am I upset and affects mine? And it's even going to be the column past that, uh, my part in this that's really going to be revealing. And so um, we're, to, we're to do this list, and we're not supposed to, we're supposed to be thorough, but not to the point where it stalls us, because um, we've made we've made great progress on our steps one, two, and three, but when we get here, here's where the book tells us that we get to start examining the wreckage of our past and putting it behind us. And the 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 quicker we can get this done, thorough but quickly, we get to lighten our burden. And as we lighten our burden, we get the obsession to be lifted. We um, we don't have to go back into the food. And even though the, the step four is absolutely, for me, it was the most important part of, um, of my recovery. I came in and I was absolutely beaten down and not even by weight. Uh, you know, my, my weight was huge. I didn't even care anymore. My, I couldn't stop eating. I was crazy. My workplace was a mess. And I, I just, I was in tears. I didn't know what the heck to do. I was in my 50s. I looked successful. Um, I had all the accoutrements for success. And I knew, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even deny it anymore. My life was a mess. It was a wreck. So I came in and got stalled on this. And finally, you know, someone pushed me and said, you need to do this. You need to do this fourth step. And I sat down with my sponsor and I went over the list exactly the way it is in the big book and um, went over this list. It took, you know, for, for us, I mean, I think I sat there for four or five hours with her in a, in a cafeteria in a hospital and went over it. And she got to show me my part in the craziness of my thinking. And as she could pull back that curtain and she could show me what the heck was going on, I thought I would feel ashamed 
But instead, it was the opposite. I felt such relief to see, oh, that's what's going on. So I, it, it, there was the possibility of changing. It was the possibility of not being that way anymore. And for me, I was, I was so defensive all the time that I was making a mess of things because I was defensive at work, at home, whatever. I mean, I couldn't even get a compliment without thinking it was a criticism. So, you know, so we got to look at those character defects. Where did that, all that come from? It came from this list that I made going down exactly as it says there. And the last thing I, was, I would add is no matter who your sponsor is, uh, don't – my experience is, is that if don't get stalled here. The, the way I feel about um, this from my own experience in sponsoring others is that we've done steps one, two, and three, and we've, we've put the food down. We're abstinent. We've got the plug in the jug, and we come on to step four. And step four is where we're starting to look at a lot of things, and it does make us uncomfortable. We're scared, you know, and so we look at it, but – but our disease is like a tsunami trying to get back over the top of us and take us back over. If we get down to this and we do this list exactly through, it doesn't take long, and we get a recovered sponsor and we look at that and we, we keep on going right through the steps, we don't have to feel bad anymore and we don't have to get into the food anymore if we keep on working this one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sylvia. Who would like to comment on what was read? Katie G from Boston. I hear Katie G and then Larry. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. I'm grateful to be here. Compulsive Overeater Recovered for today. And I love this part of our chapter because I feel like it really unlocks that promise that our troubles we think are basically of our own making, right? So, um, that's a promise, like what good news that the trouble is, how I'm looking at things. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was actually excited when I got to this part of the work because I got to write down everybody that was making me crazy, you know, the people from high school and middle school and college and everybody who did me wrong, you know, and I saw how it affected different areas of my life and I got to write down what they did wrong to me. You know, and what, what's so brutal and wonderful and freeing about this is we get to then go to the other side of the, you know, the, the courtroom, if you will, and see the truth, see that my perception of the situation is wrong. And, and um, the way I, I learned this um, is that, you know, we, we put down our, our list and what it affects and then, you know, the, the causes and conditions. So what I am so brewing over still, even if it happened 15 years ago. Um, and then I get to write, do what I've been taught as a turnaround. So write, where am I selfish? Well, I want somebody to follow my script. I don't, without regard to their wants, needs, or capabilities. The lie is everyone should be reading my script. Why are they not? The truth is God gave us all free will, you know, and I'm, I, I want people to, to obey me, to respect me, you know, and what do I do to get what I want when people are, you know, not doing what I want? Well, I get angry. I'm character assassinating them in my head. I'm gossiping. I'm fuming. I'm, I do this like what I consider, you know, spiritual jiu-jitsu, I like stare at them and try to get them to stop doing whatever it is they're doing. Oh, it's my fear. Not being in control, losing what I have, not getting what I want. 
and and being very specific each time, the you know, and writing down this crazy list of like people who I really resented and really felt victimized to, to like people who I couldn't even name, but they were still burning me up, you know, and I got to be free because if my troubles are my own making, then guess what? God can move in and, and, and heal me and change me. And the wonderful piece is, I'll just close with this, if I can really learn this tool, guess what? It comes back. Step four, making my list, turning around the resentment, seeing my role in every situation. Step 10, why am I angry, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and, and frightened? At night, the first part of step 11, where was I resentful? Why am I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? This is a tool that I have come back to every day of my recovery. And thank you, God, today I can laugh about it. You know, so if you're still fuming, if people are eating you for their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there is freedom. Our troubles of our own are, are, are of our own making. So pay attention to your sponsor. Listen up here. We got a really great tool for you in that time. Thank you, Katie. Larry? Good morning, Melanie. Uh, Larry, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Okay, so, you know, remember that we're, we're trying to ascertain uh, in a rough way what our defects are, and we have uh, resentments, fears, harms done to others. You know, and, and the first thing that I'd say, you know, I, I'd like to make abundantly clear with this that I've learned, um, the format is not the most important aspect of the fourth step. It's not the method you use. The fourth step is really a cheat sheet for what I need to talk about in step five. You know, the bulk of the work is done in step five, not four. In fact, you know, in the early days of AA, you know, the, the, the sponsor, you know, the sharing partner did the writing because the person couldn't stop shaking. You know, maybe they had DTs. They, they weren't capable of writing. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what happens with us, but the key to four is not the method we use. Here's the key. The key that I've learned is number one, don't do not lie. <laughs> and number two, do not purposefully or consciously omit information. Don't lie, don't purposely or consciously omit information. You know, because you could fill up a hundred pages of stuff but leave out the one thing you thought you'd take to your grave, you know, that the harm done to another that you're so ashamed of, it's so horrifying that it's not going to see the light of day, and I can promise you something. You can basically torch the rest of the sheets you've already completed because you've wasted your time. Your damage is not that, you're not that interesting. I'm not that interesting. I say that with love, but, you know, we're not that unique. You're not as unique as you think you are. Yet, you know, it's been this, this one thing, or for me it was several things that I, that I didn't put down, had been corroding me from the inside like a cancer. And when we omit this, when we hang on to the worst items in stock, the big book um, assures us of, of, of something. It's pretty likely we're going to go out and, and pick up at some point, and indeed I proved that. I researched that one. Don't need to be convinced of it. So the bottom line is, the deeper it is, the uglier it is to you, the more it's been contributing to the manifestations of your symptoms in this disease, period. You know, if you leave that stuff out, you're going to go out and eat again. That's been my experience. 
So on page 65, it gives us a suggestion for a format to use. And I'll tell you, I have a sponsee, for example, who is an author, published author. And if you find it helpful to write a book, you'll go for it. You know, I'm a pretty good writer. Um, but I can tell you from my own experience, it's not necessary. And may, in fact, be detrimental to, you know, in our desire for perfectionism of, of step four, you know, the format, the quantity of material, the sentence structure. Remember, a quick inventory does not mean a superficial inventory. There's no such thing as a, a complete first four step that we take because our truth continues to disclose itself over time. That's been my experience. You know, no one's memory is perfect. If, if someone, there might be someone on the line that has a photographic memory or someone who's an author. It doesn't mean that they recover. This, this, you know, this program, you hold on to the worst items in stock, you ain't recovering. It's that simple. So um, things disclose themselves over time. No one's memory is perfect. I can only illuminate what's in my conscious mind today. And we do this to the best of our ability. You know, it talks about the exact nature of my wrongs. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm taking a plateau, you know, the fourth plateau for weeks and months and years, as many of us had. You know, the exact nature of my wrong is what's been corroding me from the inside. And if we do that, my life today, as a result of finally getting it through my thick skull, that I, ha I could not hang on to the worst stuff. You know, my life today has been transformed by the higher power of my understanding. Thank you, God. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Monica. Can I share? I hear Monica, T, and then Bella. Anyone else? Sally. Hi, Sally. Okay, so Monica, T, Bella, and then Sally in that order. Thank you. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the step four. We're getting the explicit instructions here on how to do our inventory. And on this paragraph here, it says on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. And then was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? And they're giving us a format here on this, on this um, page here of how we can set up our writing. And we've been told to set this on paper on the paragraph preceding this one. And we've been told to write our resentments against people, principles, and institutions to list them. So that first column, I've made my list of all these resentments that I've refelt, replayed, relived, you know. They uh, set off a little feeling in my gut. It goes on my list. And then the middle column is the cause. Why are they on this list? Why we were angry. So I've already done all of the middle column. Now we're doing the third column, the effects. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our blah, 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 affected. So the first column, you know, that was easy. I know all the people I'm pissed off at. And the second column, that's pretty easy too. You know, it's still all about them and what they did to me. Now in this third column, what are we doing here? We are, we are writing down 
how did the, what does what did this affect? And basically, this is um, having to deal with our basic instincts, our basic instincts of socialness, you know, wanting to be loved, cared for, protected, our, our basic uh, instinct for security, and sex. So what has been bothered here by what they did to me? So I look at the causes. What did this affect? Well, this affected my personal relations with this person. What's happening here when I'm doing this column? There's a little shift going on here. It's going from them, which is where I've focused on for years, to me. What's being affected in me here? And the big book tells us that our basic instincts gone awry. You know, we take everything to extremes is part of our troubles. So in this column, we're looking at what basic instinct has been affected here. So we're getting a little shift in our thinking, which is good. Because that's what the fourth step is going to do for us. Our inventory is going to do for us. It's going to get us to turn our thinking and look at us. And that's the bottom line and the bottom secret about all this. To see what we have not been able to see. And to, to know and to learn what we didn't know. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Stella, you're next. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overreader. I love to read it. I can see the freedom, the freedom by doing this inventory. And what means freedom? For me, it means that when I did this inventory, I didn't do it step one, step two, step three, I, first of all, I had to, to build up my relationship. First of all, I had to build up a, a, a communication with my higher power, with God. Now, I am, I am not alone. I, I know I am not alone. I am surrounding with a power of love and respect. Now, it's the time to be aware and to see, to see um, how I lived my life without fear, without shame, without uh, judgment. Now I know I am not alone. I am surrounding with, with a power that loves me and respects me. Now it's, it's the time to be aware and to see, yes, I am caring of my shoulder, such a heavy stuff that I'm not even responsible for it. Nobody told me to take it. I decided that I want to take it without no good reason. And now, thank you, God, that I am in the program. I can be aware and I can see what is my part. Till now, till I came to the program, I, I, I live the life of pity myself, of miserable, of wanting so much to change everybody because everybody is, has a part of my life, and I couldn't. Now it's about time to be aware and to see, Bella, 
Wait a minute. What is your part in all this? In all this, what's going on in your life? Suddenly, you know, by, not suddenly, by, but being in the program, I'm, I am able to, to feel the pain without pity myself. I can see the pain. I can feel the pain. I can live the pain with a huge hope that, yes, I can release it. Yes, yes, Bella, what is your part? You, what I am responsible for? Now, by doing this inventory, I can see that I can change myself. And yes, I can change myself. I don't have to work so hard to change others, to change my past, to change other people. I am responsible for my own self. And yes, there is a hope. There is a solution. Yes, I can be relieved. It's such a freedom. And, 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 and it's possible because I am not alone. I don't have to be embarrassed and shame and to feel guilty anymore. I, I, I have the, the tools to move on without all this extra stuff that I don't have to carry. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Sally A. Good morning, a vision for you. Good morning, Melanie. It's Sally, a recovered compulsive eater in South Jersey. <clears throat> so I, I had a couple of things I wanted to share on this too. Um, one is that um, some of you have heard and some of you haven't heard me say this before, but I, I, when I look back on writing the four-step inventory, I um, first of all liken it to cleaning out my Tupperware cabinet because throughout my life, I have noticed that the worst cabinet in my kitchen is the Tupperware cabinet. It's always in a shambles. In fact, it is right now. Um, and when I clean out the Tupperware cabinet, when I think back, you know, throughout the years of cleaning out the Tupperware cabinet, often I picture myself, and I've done this, um, opening the cabinet doors and stuff just starts falling on me. And... Um, I'm wiser now. My Tupperware cabinet is now a low cabinet, so it's not falling on me the same way it used to fall on me when it used to be above the refrigerator. But when I open the Tupperware cabinet, it's sort of like when people in our lives are triggering memories and um, thoughts. And I believe that a lot of these memories and these thoughts are, are part of the mental twist that lead us back into the food. It's what makes us restless, irritable, and discontent. The stuff that's rolling around in our minds. So if you picture your Tupperware cabinet in a shambles, which yours might not be, but mine usually is, and actually add to it a bag of marbles that are just rolling around the bottom of the Tupperware cabinet. And when you clean out the Tupperware cabinet and you take it all out, that's what it's like to do your inventory. And you take everything and you put it on paper, everything that comes to mind that makes you restless, irritable, and discontent, starting in the category of what you're holding a grudge on, what you're resentful about, um, and, and going through the other inventories. And as I empty the Tupperware cabinet out and I put things back, because memories, you can't get rid of some memories. They have to get put back. Sometimes, though, Tupperware doesn't, there's missing lids, there's missing bottoms, and you end up throwing stuff away because because it's unsaleable goods that has to go, that you don't want to carry in your mind anymore, in your pocket. 
And so this Tupperware cabinet um, motif in my mind for the fourth step inventory has been very helpful because what we're doing in the fourth step is putting it all on paper, all the stuff from our past. And then when we get to the tenth step, we are daily doing inventories about things that are coming up, that are cropping up, some things that are cropping up that are from our past that we, that we missed because we were doing the grosser stuff in doing the four-step inventory. And when we get to the 10th step, other things are coming up in our memories that are troubling, that are making us restless, irritable, discontent. And so what this, the beauty of the 12 steps is that it's constantly giving me opportunities to clean out the Tupperware cabinet of my mind. And I must say that with my own sponsees who have wanted to linger in this fourth step more than the two-week period that I personally believe it should be done in, to get it done quickly, because it's like going into a swamp. And we're not, we're not doing this so that we can relive anything from our past. That's not what the goal of the fourth step is, that we will go back in our minds and we're going to ruminate and relive what happened. The idea is to get it down on paper and to look very briefly at each instance and to move quickly through each of the circumstances that we're carrying and get to that fourth column where we're no longer looking at what they did and justifying me, oh my goodness, I'm so good at giving my own sales pitch for why what I did was really made good sense. It was sound reasoning. But the truth of the matter is I was just always justifying me. I was never wrong. That was a big argument that I had with my siblings, with my ex-husband. You're never wrong. I'm not, though. I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm innocent. And so instead of us playing the victim anymore and looking at what they did, we are now going to enter a swamp, picture like an FBI movie where there, like the guy is the criminal is running for his life, and he's got to get out of the swamp. And that's us. We've got to get in the swamp, look at the soup, look at the stuff that's in our mind, the Tupperware cabinet of our mind, and we've got to get out the other end of the swamp quickly. It should be no more than about two weeks. And, if, and it's grosser handicaps. We can recapture things we missed in the 10th step so we have nothing to worry about because we're going to be doing this forever. That's my life. I do 10-step inventories. I did one last night. I do them all the time. And, and then the last thing I want to say is that it's not a journaling assignment. I did it that way a couple of times. And it's not about journaling. It's not about me you know, going into the depths of my brain and pulling out the depths of my thoughts. It's about me doing just like it puts it here on paper. What is the resentment? Who is the resentment? What's the cause of the resentment? What does it affect? And then moving into the, the is it a selfishness, self-seeking? Um, is it dishonesty? What's my part in this thing? And then there's always a prayer, whether it's the sick man's prayer for resentment, whether it's the uh, the, the fear prayer for the fear inventory, or whether it's the, the, the three different prayers for the sex inventory. There's always a prayer because the whole point of doing this inventory is that we're going to get unblocked from self. That's what the big book tells us on page 64, top of the page, 71 on the top of the page, and uses the word obstacles on 72 on the top of the page. The whole goal of the fourth step and, and all the steps is that we're going to get unblocked. We're going to see our side of the street. We're going to clean up the glass that we broke on our side of the street, and we're going to have a, a better relationship with our higher power 
And that's why it's so important for us to clean out the Tupperware cabinet of our minds. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you. Who else would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Leanne. This is Sharon in Hi. Colorado. Hi, Leanne, and then Sharon H. Leanne, go ahead. Hi, Leanne, recovered in Florida. And just, just a quickie. I just have this on my mind. Sally said so much of what I was thinking. But um, in the beginning, I started my inventory, and it was so laborious and cumbersome, and I had so many words. But it took me a while till I was able to make it concise and quick and be able to express, to get to the core um, quicker. It took me a lot of practice because in the beginning I had to write a lot of words till I could really get to the core issue of the resentment or the feeling or whatever it was behind the person. So it did take me some practice before I was able to get it down to like a couple of words. And, um, you know, I was so grateful that I finally figured it out, but I was a slow learner in getting this down quickly. My sponsor would say, we waste no time. The book says we waste no time. And when I would start reading, she'd wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want no big sing song. Just give me the core issue, reflection of self. I didn't express myself, you know, or no compassion, not seeing the big picture, things like that, like a couple of words. And that was so, such a relief from what I had started doing. Um, and uh, the other thing was um, what I tell people today is like what, what was mentioned already, it's not this sing-song long thing. I remember in my years in OA, people saying, oh, well, I'm in the middle of my fourth step and all this stuff is coming up and I'm like reliving these memories and it's all this drama around it. It wasn't like that at all to me. Like when I started to do the fourth step the way it's, we were told in the big book, it was more like, oh, my gosh, I do that? Oh, my gosh, I do that? I didn't realize I was doing that. One of the biggest things for me was, I never had compassion on myself. I had no compassion for me. Therefore, I had no compassion for anybody else. And I never expressed how I truly felt. Those were a lot of the big things. And I was like, wow. So it was nothing about morbid for me at all. It turned out that I had to deal with absolutely every person and relationship I ever had from the very beginning of my memories that I had to go through all of that. But still, um, it just didn't seem too morbid to me. It was just a self-discovery, a relief, and um, a way for me to target my prayers much more specifically because now I knew what I was dealing with. So I just think it's just the most amazing. I always say this. It's the most amazing therapy I've ever had, but I know it's not therapy. So um, it's, um, it's just great. So thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Leanne. Sharon H., Thank you, Melanie. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And um, I just want to go back to uh, what really hit home with me when I started listening to this meeting. Uh, it started on page Roman numeral 13. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And, um, you know, in, uh, I came into the program in 1975. It was Emotions Anonymous, and my first one was a novel, but I did write on that one thing, the one that I did say I'd take to my grave. Then when I got in AA, they really stressed, this is the way you do your inventory. And um, 
So that's what I did. And then when I came into OA, um, things kind of got a little convoluted, and so I was, you know, back to doing more of a autobiography kind of thing. But what I see now is I, if I believe this is a textbook and it's telling me how I need to do it, my problem was I was not always good at following directions. I thought I had a better way and knew better how to do it than, than what it said in the book. So when I did my inventory this time, I did it just like it lays it out here in the book. And um, that's where I saw my seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I had so many people that I was resentful at and the cause to keep it short and to the point that's the beginning of seeing how um, I'm always uh, at odds with other people. I don't know how to live my life and I'm always at odds with other people. And then the third column, what does it affect? Well, that's where I begin to see if I hang on to this stuff, this is what is affected in every situation in my life. And those are all rooted in fear, uh, you know, a, a situation with a sex relation or a personal relationship. There's no, there's no God there. I'm just seeing the reality of me and what this is doing and what it affects. Uh, and then as we go on to, you know, the next couple of pages, we'll see why we must do this and, and the next part of it that shows us then um, that God shines his flashlight into our minds so that we can be healed. And, you know, as far as the fear, I was so afraid, especially like the one that I said I'd take to the grave. And I'll never forget my sponsor saying, Sharon, you didn't invent any new sins. They've been around since the beginning of time. And, you know, I'll never forget that because it really made me see how, you know, I always thought I was so unique and, you know, I did things that nobody else had done and how could I admit these. And, and so this process uh, just keeps us right on track. And, and it makes it to where we don't take two or three years to do an inventory. And the results are amazing when we just follow the directions in the book. So I'm just so grateful today that um, that's what I am doing. I'm choosing to follow the directions in the book and, and then go from there. And I, I'm beginning to see the results of that. And I'm so grateful for that. So any of you out on the line, I just encourage you. You know, I struggled for years trying to get abstinent and stay abstinent. And so that's, that's, the, that's the miracle we're going to receive, and then we're able to guide others through this same process. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Sharon. Marcella, would you please read the next paragraph, 65.3, please? Sure, Melanie. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, page 66, it is plain that a lie, oh, my name is Marcella, I'm a recovered compulsive over here. Um, Marcella, it's plain... actually page, 60, it's page 65, the third paragraph, we, we went back to our lives. Oh, oh, okay. Page 65 at the bottom. Correct. We went back to our lives, nothing counted but sorrowness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong 
was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. Um, so as I said, my name is Marcella. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I've heard so many good things so far in this meeting. Um, when I came to this process, I was convinced that I was a flawless victim of horrific circumstances. And if there's something that I know about resentments, is that life is a lot easier without them. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with the um, previous speaker who mentioned that it's not the quantity of the inventory that, that, that matters. It is uh, as soon as a pattern emerges, we can clearly see what is blocking us and sending us to the fridge every single time. Um, I spend, I'm kind of like those kind of people that uh, were considered like a mental patient. And I actually wrapped my identity around a resentment, one single resentment, um, horrific circumstances that happened in my childhood and, and um, that I kept believing in and relieving it and transferring it to others. And, um, and I went from one psychologist to the next one. I became a psychologist in the process and from one psychiatrist to the next one, and from one workshop of survivors to another one. And that's who I was. I was my resentment. I was a survivor of whatever happened to me. Every, my whole entire life and my whole perception was colored by my resentment. So is it any surprise that I became a compulsive overeater and that I um, drowned, attempted unsuccessfully, to drown my pain and my shame and my sense of deep humiliation with um, chocolate that, that, that became like a huge armor around my body. And of course, all the wires are connected and, and, and the craving for chocolate leads to shame and shame leads to fear and fear leads to paralyzing inability to be alive. And that was me. That was me. So when I came to this process, I said, oh, please don't tell me that. I mean, I'm a psychologist and I've been in therapy for 40 years. What else, what else is there? I don't want to do this. It's, it's not going to work because I know too much. I mean, I, the, the exercise of introspection and, and, and articulation of my inner thoughts is not new to me. But it worked. It worked. As soon as I saw, well, what was I putting these lifetime resentment that I'm still carrying around. That was my part. I wrapped my identity around the resentment. As long as I was a flawless victim, I couldn't be free. And this wonderful process allowed me to stand on my own two feet and say, oh, wait, I can stop hating. Now, the notion that um, we cannot afford anger that kind of is like socially accepted. Like everybody knows that an angry person shouldn't be around just being angry and hurting others. But the notion that I cannot afford to be fearful, 
God continues to be new to me. I can't afford fear. Now, where there was fear, now there's a very calm faith in the higher power through you. Where there was um, unexpressed anger, there's gratitude and contentment. And when there was extra weight, now there's a healthy, fit body that carries around um, the message of joy, which is very true and very tangible. Am I the message? No, I'm just a recipient. I'm like a cell phone who's getting the signal through you, through the meaning. I really don't, I used to, I used to think of myself as a very religious person, but now I don't see the difference between prayer and this meeting, the fellowship and the higher power. It all is here. May you find God now. May you find recovery now. And may you drop your fears, all of them, through this beautiful process. Thank you for being here with all of us. Thank you, Marcella. Who would like to comment on what was read? Sheila. Hi, good morning, Sheila. Good morning, Sheila. Hope I hear Leah, too. Sheila, who can go first? And then Leah? Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, definitely needed to check in and um, identify in. This has been, this part here has been my blog. My God. Um, you know, I've done, attempted to do, I say, for this and another program, but there was always more layers. And um, just not to crosstalk, but to identify with the last speaker about the anger, like I wasn't allowed to be angry. So if I'm not allowed to get pissed off at the stuff that has happened to me, what am I supposed to do other than eat? You know, and that seemed to be socially effective. I couldn't go around bashing people in their face like I wanted to do or cussing people out like I would like to do. Um, and so I stuffed it down and continued to stuff it down. You know, that turn it other cheek. Oh, move on, move on, move on. You know, by God's grace, I'm a survivor, but I am still pissed off to today. And that resentment and anger just blocks me from getting closer to my highest power. You know, and it's a struggle every day um, to keep saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, um, now I'm working with a group of supportive women that uh, I'm hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful. I hope. I don't know. I I could just see myself spending the rest of my days dealing with this if I don't find a way to to move past it. Um, there's just so much I could say about this, but I thank you guys so much. Uh, and my work is not over. Probably never will be. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Leah, you'll be our last share this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. And that was so true for me. You know, there were years where uh, I was sitting on a, you know, psychiatrist or a therapist's couch uh, just, you know, constantly um, reviewing harms that had been done to me or, you know, that I perceived had been done to me, never venturing beyond, um, you know, focusing on, on them, focusing on them. And I was deriving the mileage that I could get, 
you know, out of self-righteousness, out of character assassination, out of justification to binge, neglecting to look at my own role in their creation, you know, my own role in, in these resentments, my own uh, lack of taking responsibility. You know, I was avoiding taking responsibility for putting them to sleep. You know, perhaps something did happen in 1969. However, you know, why was I still carrying it around two decades later? You know, I was neglecting to take responsibility for putting those things to sleep. I continued to replay it in my mind, setting myself up for yet more turmoil, um, you know, and more retaliation against, you know, my wrongdoers. I mean, thank God for this fourth step where I began to be able to see the real truth for the first time and see the kind of personality that had developed through my years of this type of perception and this self centered thinking uh, had given me such emotional twists and discolored my personality and altered my relationships. And step four comes in and says, you know what, Leah, we need to analyze how these resentments have affected you and realize the dysfunctional beliefs that are formed because of those perceptions and because of those feelings and because of those reactions. And this step four allowed me to see that my perceptions and my feelings Feelings and my reactions were based on a lie, a myth that I had conjured up about the world and people in it, and especially about myself, especially about myself. And when all those things are swirling around in my brain, um, you know, I'm filled with frustration and self-pity, and of course my mind can't be clear about uh, those foods which I'm allergic to because my mind is so filled up with resentments. You know, I need to be full of a higher power, but instead all those things that I resent had become my higher power. All those people, the, the fourth step allowed a penetration of the unconscious to get a glimpse of those Beliefs. Why did I need a glimpse of those beliefs? Because love and hate cannot exist on the same plane. One of them is going to be predominant. And if my mind is a warehouse, warehouse filled with resentment, uh, I'm going to constantly be blocked and therefore constantly be digging my fists into bags and boxes. What this uh, process allowed to happen is a clearing out so that it can be replaced by something else. And that something else is tolerance, and that something else is faith, and that something else is acceptance, and that something else is love. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And with that share, it brings us to the end of this first hour, and I want to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lauren ask, please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Lauren S., a recovery compulsive overreader from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. 
This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. You will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.